Well, I'm excited about today's message because of two reasons. Number one, I'm preaching on a passage of Scripture that is only found in the Gospel of Mark. You know, most of the Gospel of Mark is repeated in Matthew and Luke, but a few verses in the Gospel of Mark are only found there. So I'm going to look at one of those today. And then secondly, this is a passage of Scripture that I have never preached a sermon on. In 56 years of preaching, I have never preached on this passage of Scripture. And I don't know why, because it's such a great one. But I guess just because it's kind of stuck in here in the Gospel of Mark in a unique place, in a unique way, I just have overlooked it. But it's found in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 26. And it is a parable. Now, it sounds a little bit like some other parables that are mentioned in other places, but this one is actually unique to the Gospel of Mark, and it's a little different. And I've seen some amazing things in it this week that I have been a blessing to me. It's actually the last couple of weeks I've been looking at it, and then uh, I hope it'll be a blessing to you as well. Um, Mark chapter 4, verse 26, and Jesus said, The kingdom of God, this is one of those kingdom parables that he he talks a lot about kingdom parables, especially in Matthew, but here in Mark, he uses a different, a unique uh, uh, one. He says, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. So he says that God's kingdom, which we'll talk about what that means in a little bit, is like a man who goes out and he sows His seed, he's scattering it around on the ground. Now, he's used this illustration in some other parables, but this one's a little bit different. And then the man sleeps by night and rises by day. And this is a repetitive thing. He goes to bed, he gets up. He goes to bed and he gets up. He goes to bed and he gets up. And so day by day, day by day, the seed begins to sprout and grow. And the man does not know how he can't figure out how how's this working he doesn't under he was not a, a buyer. he's a farmer and so he's not a, a, a what's a guy called that studies the a botanist yeah he's not a botanist he's just a farmer just a simple farmer he sows his seed goes to bed at night and he gets up and and nothing's happened the next morning if you've ever planted a garden you know you you go out, you get everything all ready, and you plant your seeds. I used to, I, I had a, a squash patch. I raised a quarter of an acre of squash when I was a senior in high school. My dad gave me this little quarter of an acre of a place, and and it took a long time to get all the ground ready and to put up the little mounds, and then I, I put those seeds in one by one. I planted them by hand just by uh Put them in, covered them up. I went back a couple days later, nothing. I mean, just uh, just like I'd left it. I went back a week later, and and I began to see just little tiny bumps on the ground. And then I went back a few days later, and I saw little sprouts. And then day by day, week by week, I went... And I thought, it's growing, it's actually working, and it did. And I'm telling you what, a quarter of an acre of squash, you can't believe how much squash it makes. My goodness, when it, when it got completely ready, I would have to harvest half of it 
one day and the other half the next day, and I had bushels of squash. And I took that squash to the frozen food plant in our town and sold it, and that's the way I paid for my first semester in college. One quarter of an acre of squash. It's amazing. But, but the, when I first planted it, just nothing. Not like Jack in the Beanstalk where he plants his beans, his magic beans, one night, and the next morning he goes up and there's a stalk uh, all the way up into the sky. Now, I, 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 wouldn't want, I wouldn't have wanted my squash to grow like that. Okay. All right. And so he says, and so he rises and, and uh, uh, the seed sprouts, and he, he doesn't understand how that's happening. For the earth yields crops of itself. First the blade... And then the head, and after that, the full grain in the head. So he said it grows little by little, little by little, and finally it gets completely ready to harvest. And when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said that's, that's what the kingdom is like. The kingdom is like seeds that are being planted, and you don't see much happening sometimes. And then, but it does. It, it, it actually something is happening, and you don't even understand how it happens. It's beyond your uh, ability to understand. And do you know that's the way it is with the gospel? We go out, we preach the gospel to people. We tell people Jesus died for sinners. God raised him from the dead. If you'll trust in him, you can be saved. And we sow that seed. Nothing happens at first. We just, I, I could tell you, I've shared the gospel with Literally thousands and thousands of people in my lifetime, and many of them, it just looked like nothing, nothing happened at all. And I think, well, was that a waste of time? Well, was it a waste of time for the farmer to plant his seeds, and when he went back the next day, nothing was there? No, it wasn't a waste of time. It just took time. It took time. There was a man that. Used to cut my hair here in Dallas back uh, 40 years ago, longer. And uh, I'd, every time I'd go to, to get my hair cut, I'd share the gospel with him. I'd just tell him about Jesus, and I'd tell him how to be saved. And he'd listen, and then he'd talk about something else. And he, just like nothing was matter, nothing mattered. Didn't, it didn't seem to be making any kind of impact at all. Then we got called to a church back in Tennessee, and I moved to Tennessee. And uh, one night, I got a phone call from Jim, my barber, and he called. He said, uh, I need to get saved. And I said, well, praise the Lord. And he said, all those times you're talking to me about the gospel, he said, uh, I, I, I want to be saved. And I said, well, let's pray. He said, no, I want to come to your house. I said, well, I live 500 miles away. He said, I'll be there in the morning. And he drove all the way to our house, and he prayed to receive Christ, and he got saved in our living room. And I just thought, well, that's amazing. Now, that's kind of a mystery, isn't it? Here, why didn't he get saved in the barber's shop? <laughs> he could have saved himself a lot of driving, and I would have felt better about it. My goodness, I mean, I'd been witnessing to him, and I'd go home, and I'd think, man, 
this guy's so dense. I'd draw pictures for him. I would explain it like I was explaining to a child. And, and then he'd say something like, after I really presented the gospel, he'd say something like, well, I had an uncle that was a deacon in a Baptist church years ago. I think, what? That didn't even make any sense. And so it was like we were speaking two different languages. But God saved him, but not on the day I thought he ought to get saved. He got saved later. But the seed that was planted three years, four years, five years earlier is what brought fruit. And I'm just telling you, don't don't give up on the idea when you are sowing the seed, telling people about Jesus, don't think that it's a waste of time. And by the way, here's another mystery. And that is that God can use anybody to be a seed sower. You don't have to be a seminary graduate to tell people about Jesus. You don't have to be a preacher to tell people about Jesus. Farmers don't have to have any real credentials to plant a seed, do you? It doesn't take a lot to just throw some seed out into a plowed field. Now, I'm not disparaging farmers. There's some really, really smart farmers and things like that. But I'm just saying the, the seed sowing is not dependent upon their great intelligence or something or their great skill. You just When I planted that squash, I just planted it. Anybody could have done it. I could have done it as a six-year-old. In fact, I did plant some stuff when I was six years old. But I'm just saying that you don't have to be real trained to tell people about Jesus. As a matter of fact, the Bible says over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that God didn't choose many famous and rich and powerful people to do his greatest work. But rather, he chose those that in the eyes of the world were just really pretty common. As a matter of fact, some of them were just almost nothing. We studied in Sunday school this morning about Gideon. Gideon said, well, but God, why are you asking me to serve you? I'm nobody. I, I'm the least member of the least family in my tribe. And God said, well, yeah, that's, kind of the, that's the folks I like to use. People who know that they are not much. Several years ago, I was preaching at a church down in Navasota, Texas. And I met a young boy there. He was maybe, what, Ricky was maybe 15 at that time. Maybe a 15-year-old. His name is Ricky Cakely. Ricky was mentally challenged. And uh, he was uh, uh, not at all the kind of person that you would think that God would mightily use. And I just fell in love with Ricky. And he did with, with us. And uh, he would come up and spend uh, time with us in the summer, two or three different times, wasn't it? He'd come up and stay with us, and, and uh, he was a 
funny guy. Uh, he, he would use our decorative soap to wash his hands with, you know. You know, you, you have some soap in your bathroom that you wash your hands with, and you have some that is there just to look pretty. Well, he liked to use our pretty soap, you know. We'd say, Ricky, you know, don't use our, that's decorative soap. He said, well, it gets your hands clean. Okay, and he'd use our, our guest, ta- our, our uh, decorative towels to dry on, and we'd say, that's there just for, to look at. And he well, why would you want to have a towel just to look at, you know? So anyway, he made a lot of sense, actually. And, uh, but uh, but I, I, just, I just loved Ricky, and, uh, and he and I really, really were good friends. And I'd go down to see him sometime. He'd come up and spend some time with us. And I got a call one day, and they said that Ricky had uh, had had something like a stroke, and he was in the hospital down in uh, Austin. And uh, I drove down there to see him, and he was he never regained consciousness. And a few days later, Ricky died. He was just maybe 20 years old at that time, something like that. And uh, I went to Ricky's funeral, and uh, it was absolutely packed. We got to the got to the funeral home, and I mean, uh, there wasn't a seat, and people standing all around the wall, and uh, and they the the preacher who was actually doing the funeral, he he said, you know, Ricky was known in Navasota for telling people about Jesus. And said that he would just go out and just tell people that God loved them, that Jesus died for their sins, and that if they would trust him, he'd save them. And, uh, and I knew that was true. As a matter of fact, Ricky had done that when I'd been with him a few times. And uh, uh, the pastor said, how many of you here were led to faith in Christ by Ricky Caper? Well, I thought there were probably three or four people, maybe. There were 50 people who held their hand up and said, Ricky led me to Jesus. Can you imagine that? One guy said, it was raining one day, and he said, I ran and got under a bridge to get out of the rain and said, when I got under there, said there was this boy, Ricky, that was under there hiding from the rain too. And he said, while we were under that bridge, Ricky told me that God loved me and that Jesus died to pay for my sin and that if I would ask him, he would come into my heart. And he said, that day under that bridge, Ricky Capley led me to Jesus. And I just came away driving home just in tears thinking, how many, many people never witnessed to anybody how many healthy intelligent people never tell anybody they never sow the seed but Ricky was a seed sower and I don't know I just think you know what an abundant entrance he had into heaven I'm telling you, I just imagine that when he closed his eyes here on this earth and opened his eyes and saw the face of Jesus, 
that Jesus surely said to him, Welcome, Ricky. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You were faithful to sow the seed, and because of that, maybe you never even saw it, but the seed grew, and there are people in heaven will be in heaven because of your faithfulness to sow the seed. And Jesus said, that's the way the kingdom is. The kingdom is it's uh, on an individual basis. We can't make anybody get saved. I can't save anybody. I can just tell people. And he says, that's the way the kingdom is. We sow the seed, and we don't know how it works. We just know that it does work. And it may, and it works little by little. It may not be overnight. Uh, there are some people that I have uh, shared Christ with, and they've gotten saved right there on the spot. And I might think, well, look, I, I, I led them to Jesus. Come to find out they had a mother that had been praying for them for 30 years. And her prayers probably had a lot more to do with their coming to Christ than my witness. I just happened to be there to reap a harvest. And I tell you, we go out and we see the kingdom of God growing and, and, and sometimes we even get a little discouraged, don't we? I mean, things are such a mess right now in our country, aren't they? And it seems like it's, uh, uh, it's so uh, politically incorrect to, to talk about Jesus and to, uh, to be a witness for Christ. But I'm telling you, that's the only way we'll ever see change in our country is if the Christian people will sow the seed. And we may not see it this year. We may not see it this decade. But I'm telling you, if we don't, then our grandchildren are going to live in a world so different than the one we live in now. So the kingdom, the kingdom of God, it's, uh, it, it grows. It is growing. It's working. I mean, Seeds are, are being planted and have been planted. And, uh, and here's the thing about uh, kingdom growth. It's, uh, it's not always noticeable. It's not always noticeable. We don't see it immediately. We may not even see it in our lifetime. The Bible says that Abraham, I mean, uh, Abraham looked for a city. He saw in the distance the kingdom of God. And he died without having received the promise in his day. But it did come. It will come. And uh, all those Old Testament prophets who said, there's a Messiah coming. There's a Savior. God is going to send his son, but they didn't see it, but it happened. And so the, the kingdom, the work of the kingdom, it may not be noticeable 
but it's but it's working. There's a, we see we plant the seed, and while we're sleeping, that seed is germinating, and it's beginning to grow. And then after a while, just a little tiny blade comes up through the ground, and so the uh, the kingdom is is not always noticeable, but it is unstoppable. It's unstoppable. The Bible says the gates of hell cannot prevail against the kingdom of God. When I was pastoring in uh, Mississippi, we put in a new parking lot, and we brought in gravel and so forth and asphalt, and we, we had three inches of asphalt. And the next year, we go out, and that asphalt has got little green sprouts growing up through the asphalt. And before long, we're having to mow our parking lot. I couldn't believe it. I thought, how in the world can a little piece of grass push its way up through three inches of asphalt? But it did. And I saw that happen, and I said, you know, that's the way the kingdom of God is. It can't be stopped. You can hide it. You can cover it. And I'm telling you, kings and, 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 and laws, all kinds of stuff, have been passed over the centuries saying the gospel has to be quiet. Jesus is, is over. It's all done. And it just keeps on growing, just keeps on growing. I tell you what, do you know that in China, for 70 years in China, there was a systematic attempt to totally eliminate, eradicate, totally eliminate every Christian, and thousands, hundreds of thousands of them were executed. They were killed. Today, in China, there are more Christians than there are in America today. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> After 70 years of trying to totally eliminate them, now they have one of the most vibrant Christian groups. Now, of course, there's one and a half billion people in China, 1.3, so to say they have more Christians than we do doesn't mean percentage-wise they do, but the, the number of Christians in China are well over 140 million Christians. There aren't that many devoted Christians, certainly, in America. And the Christians in China, they really mean business. <laughs> they really, really mean business. So the, the kingdom of God, it's not always noticeable. It's, not, it's certainly not stoppable. And it will come to a consummation. There is going to be a time when the harvest comes. And I want you to know, if you're not a Christian, the Bible says that when the harvest comes, that the wheat will be taken. That is the good. Those who have trusted in Jesus will be taken, and they will be taken into the Lord's garner house into his his place 
But the wheat, the tares, the, the weeds, the ones who have not believed will be cut down and cast into the fire. And I, I'm just, it's so important for you to understand that every person is either a believer or an unbeliever. Every person, if the harvest came today, Every person here would either go to heaven to be with the Lord or you would go to hell to be separated from him forever. So it's a horrible thought. And here's the thing. The gospel is good news that says whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. So that's how, that's how broad, that's how wide the invitation is. You say, well, but I'm, I've done so many bad things. I've just been so terrible. Hey, the Bible says it's while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. He didn't come for good people. He came for sinners. He was called a friend of sinners. And in fact, the people who thought themselves good, in that day Jesus said, your goodness is your greatest enemy. I mean, it's, it's, it's in the way. He said, if you are, because you think you can see, you really are blind. And there's, Perhaps no greater hindrance to people getting saved than human goodness that masquerades for being born again. You say, did I say that right? People who think they are so good they don't need to be saved are in the worst condition of all. And the truth is, we are all sinners, and Jesus came to save sinners. And if you are a sinner, and you are, if you know you're a sinner, then you can say, this is good news, because the Bible says Jesus died for sinners. He died for sinners. And so knowing that the kingdom is going to come and that there will be a consummation, it's a call for us to be patient, to be patient. Be patient even in your witnessing. If you witness to somebody, don't give up on them. My youngest brother is not a Christian, and I've witnessed to him, and my other brother's witnessed to him, my mother's witnessed to him, everybody's witnessed to him. For uh, he's uh, 60 years old now, 61 years old. And uh, he's in a prison in uh, Kentucky. And we talk to him. We communicate with him. I've written dozens of letters to him. And somebody said, well, I guess he's just not ever going to get saved, is he? I believe he will. I believe he will. 
For one thing, I don't believe that my mother's prayers for his salvation will go unanswered. I believe that the prayer she prayed for him, in fact, when she was dying in the hospital, the last message, she was intubated, she couldn't speak, she'd been in this state for three weeks or four weeks or longer, and she took a little uh, uh, etch-a-sketch, like a little, uh, not etch-a-sketch, what's those, those things that you write on and then you lift them up and it erases and she couldn't talk, but the last words, the last message was pray for Roger. Pray for Roger. And as far as I know, she died praying for her youngest son. And I believe that even though we don't see it, we hadn't seen it, I believe we will see it. And so it's a call for patience. It's also a call for hope. And I tell you, there are times that this world looks pretty hopeless, pretty dark, pretty messed up. But Jesus has taught us to pray. And the first sentence in that prayer after we hallow his name is, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many times, how many millions, billions of times has that prayer been prayed by God's people in the last 2,000 years? And every time we pray what we call the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer, we're saying, we're praying for the kingdom, your kingdom. The harvest will come. The consummation will come. Thy kingdom come. So it's a call for hope. But then it's also a call for preparedness. If you are not a believer in Jesus, then the call today is believe. Believe in me, he says. As many as come to me, he said, I will in no wise cast out. So no matter how good you've been, no matter how bad you've been, no matter how famous you are or no matter how infamous you are, no matter how rich you are, no matter how poor you are, Jesus said, if you come to me, I will never push you away. I will never throw you out. I will never cast you away. So, come. If you're, a, if you're not a believer right now, you say, well, but, but what do I have to do? Look, that's the thing about it. You don't have to do anything. Because Jesus has already done everything. You see, he's done it all. The law says do, do, do. The gospel says done. It's done. It's finished. It's over. It's done. They said, well, well, surely I have to do something. No, you just, you believe. 
What must I do to be saved? The, the Philippian jailer asked the Apostle Paul. And his answer was, believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved. In John's gospel, he said, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God. So, some people say, well, it just seems seems too easy. Well, God made it that way so that a little child like uh, Caden, seven years old, can say, I believe. Or a 80-year-old man who has wasted his whole life can say, I believe. And the same grace that saves the child will save the most wretched sinner. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's the way the kingdom works. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much today for seeds that were planted in my life in the first years of my life. I wasn't aware that my mother was sowing gospel seeds and that preachers that I was going to attend their services, even when I wasn't listening to their sermons, they were planting some seeds. Grandparents and aunts and uncles. And then at age 17, those seeds produced fruit in my heart and in my life, the fruit of salvation. And I pray that you'll help us today to be seed sowers. Lord, to be like Ricky Cakeley, who even though the world would have looked at him and said he'll never amount to much. Oh, my goodness. When you looked at him, you said, he is one of my chief servants on this earth. And I pray that you will help us to not look at our ability or inability, not look at our intelligence or our lack of intelligence, not look at our skill or our lack of skill, but help us to just look to you. And like Gideon, to know that when you clothe yourself with us, when you, when you, your spirit fills us, there is nothing impossible. Help us to be faithful in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.